this is such a privilege and such an honor, and we'll see today why that is, to come and to gather and to worship, to sing song, to study God's Word, to be in fellowship. It's such a great privilege and an honor. If you've got a Bible, we're just going to get right to it. We've got a lot of work to do today. Would you turn with me to the letter to the Ephesians? If you need to use the table of contents in the front of, the bi- of your Bible, no shame in that. You can find Bibles in the seat back in front of you. Or you can pull it up on your phone, Google Ephesians, and we're going to be in chapter 1 today. This is just a beautiful, beautiful letter written by the Apostle Paul. We talked about what that meant last week, the authority with which he wrote as an Apostle of Jesus Christ, and what that means for us. And we ended up saying last week, at the end of our time together, that my hope as we consider Ephesians together as a church, that our hearts would overflow with worship. Now, you probably thought last week, well, that's not actually that typical of my heart. Why is that? You're not alone in that. Why is this not the common posture of our heart? Let me give you an illustration that might help you understand why that is. Have you ever felt like you didn't love a gift that you received as much as you should have? Like somebody gives you a gift and you're just not that excited, but their face tells you that you should be like really excited. Have you ever had that experience? I have that all the time. Why is that? Now, lots of times it could be because you didn't realize or, or you didn't even know what the gift was. Like I remember this one time I was a groomsman in a wedding and I opened up the groomsman gift, and it was, and I looked at it, I was like, I'm not sure what this is, but it turns out it was really cool. It was a fly fishing uh, reel, uh, but the rod wasn't attached, and so I'm not a huge fisherman, so I was like, I'm not sure what this sprocket is. Okay, so, and then I found out, oh, this is awesome. I never bought a rod, but it was still a really unique, great groomsman gift, Okay. Now, anybody that's ever proposed to someone uh, has had this experience. Uh, typically, I guess it's not doesn't have to be this way, but typically the, the male proposes to the female. And if you've done this, you'll know uh, that you kind of almost, you have to almost have this feeling a little bit because you save up and you spend a lot of money on a tiny rock that shines in particular lights better than others, and, and no matter what the reaction is when you pull out that ring and you show it to them, they cannot fully grasp the amount of time and energy and research that you've done in studying all the types of rings and diamonds and all the imperfections and things. They typically just they can't understand that. And so you always are left feeling a little bit, do you know how much this cost here and what I could have done with it? And do they even know that it's not a cubic zirconia? I mean, how do you know? So you always have this feeling, because when they look at it, they just don't know how hard you tried to pick the perfect ring. Now, they're usually excited for the most part, and um, you just don't want them to go compare it with their friends and those sorts of things. It's like, only ever look at your hand, please. Thank you. Now, the other, the other reason we have this experience uh, with gifts is because we don't always know all the great things that it actually does, the gift that we get. 
I think the best example I could think of for this is my grandmother, who I love to death. And her kids bought her a new iPhone. iPhones can do a lot of stuff. You get 3D print on those things, just pop out whatever you need. A new outfit, does everything. And grandma, I say, grandma, this nice phone. She says, I love this phone. She says, this is a great phone to play solitaire on. (laughs) Well, grandma, you can, she's like, don't even try. Don't even tell me, I don't even care. She didn't understand everything that can do. Most of us don't understand everything that our iPhones can do. We also don't realize when we get a gift, lots of times, if you've had this experience, how long the person has been waiting to give you this gift. So you think of maybe like a, bride's, a bride on her wedding day, and her mother gives her a pair of earrings. And she says, wow, these are great earrings. And she's, she's genuinely excited. But the mother has been waiting for 30 years because those are the earrings she wore on her wedding day. She's been waiting 30 years to give those to her daughter. But in the moment, until she tells her that, the person getting the gift doesn't know. You see how there's a gap? Another reason we might not know is because we have no idea how much trouble the gifter went to to get the gift. (laughs) I don't know if you're too young to know this, but Arnold Schwarzenegger was one of America's greatest actors. Fine performances in many great films. But perhaps his greatest film was a movie called Jingle All the Way. You know this movie? Unbelievable performance. All about uh, Arnold and Sinbad. You guys know Sinbad? (laughs) They're trying to get this elusive toy for their kid, right? Okay. I don't know if you remember the Elmo craze. Kid opens it up and they're like, oh, great. On to the next gift. Like, you don't know. I killed a man (laughs) to get that Elmo doll. Literally, he's in the dumpster behind the Walmart. So, this is the problem, right? We, if we don't understand everything that went into the gift or what the gift actually is, the tendency is to not be as excited, maybe, as we should be about the gift. And so, if you're worried at all about the coldness of your heart at times towards God, And I'm sure you are. I often am. I often think to myself, why am I not more stirred up to God when I come to the table, the body and the blood of Christ? Why am I not overflowing with love towards God as I think I should be? Probably it's because we don't realize the greatness of God's love towards us. We don't fully grasp the gift of grace. And so, we need to do some work. We need to figure out what is this gift that He's given to us. We need to realize how deep and how wide the love of God is. We need to understand the depths to which we've sunk. To which we've turned and walked away from God. How terrible, how precarious, how perilous our position is in this life and in the next. And that it's only by the grace of God that we do not forever stay far from Him and His goodness.
This is how we'll get back this sense of wonder and love and praise. So I hope today that we might be enlightened to see the fullness of the gift of God, that we might realize the depth of the gift of grace, the power and what it can do in our life, and how long God's been waiting to give us this gift, and to what lengths He's gone to make giving, of the, giving us this gift a possibility. So that's what we're going to look at in Ephesians today. Now, last week, let me just very quickly recap. We're going to read some things today that we can only know because God tells us. There are things in this world that we only know because God has revealed them to us. And so as we read these things, my challenge to you, I urge you as we read this letter, remember that. Remember that He's telling you these things. Not so that you can be worked up at how does this all work and and what about this and what about that, but just He's telling this to you. He wants you to hear this. And then I'd urge you as well, as we go through the book of Ephesians, through the fall and into the winter, here's what I'd urge you to do. Once a week, read through the whole letter to the Ephesians. The first week, just read it through straight. Maybe the next week, you read it one chapter every day. Read it in several different translations. Just keep reading it. Keep reading it. And I guarantee you, by the time we get to the end of this series, you will not be the same as you are right now. That the truths that are revealed to us by the power of God through His Spirit working through the apostles will change you in a way if you just soak yourself in these words, these truths. That's my challenge to you. So, let's start in Ephesians chapter 1. We'll just read the two verses we looked at last week, and then we'll move on to our text today. This is also printed in your bulletin as well. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me stop there. Blessed be. This word blessed, we'll see it come up many times, and here it means praiseworthy. Praiseworthy be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. These opening words are really like an outburst. First thing he wants to say, praise. Be to God. Praiseworthy be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is important just to say this. So, whichever God it was that Jesus prayed to, that rose Jesus from the grave, that is who Paul is saying is praiseworthy. In Ephesians, just like in our world today, there's many gods to be worshipped. And Paul's being very specific here. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God and Father. That's who is worthy of praise. So today, in our pluralistic culture, we can say 
If you're praising the God that Jesus, that Jesus worshipped, the God that He spoke of, the God that He prayed to, if that's the God that you're praising, amen. Welcome. But, Paul's being very specific. That's who's worthy of praise. And we'll see how important that is. It really sets the tone for the rest of this sentence. Yeah, sentence. From verse 3 to verse 14 in the Greek, which was the original language that this was written in, this is one sentence. Verses 3 to 14. Now we've chopped them up for our consumption. But when I found that out, I was like, Mr. Abali, high school English teacher, run-on sentences can be great. And I am a ki- the king of run-on sentences. I can make an incredible run-on sentence. If you want any of my high school papers, I've thrown them all away. I've burned them. Okay. This is one long run-on sentence, and it's all about the praiseworthiness of God because of what He's done, the blessings He's bestowed upon us. So let's just read this together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the richness of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the uh, the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Whew. That's a great run-on sentence. Probably the greatest sentence ever written, some would say. And in it is packed these cosmic truths that we only know because God tells us. So we're going to look at what are these blessings that He talks about? And what, what must it mean about the love of God that He's blessed us in this way? And how does the givenness of these gifts change us and change how we respond to God. That's what we're going to be looking at today. Exciting, right? So here we go. The first thing we want to look at is the fullness of these blessings. 
We have to understand the depths of these gifts that God has given us. It says right here in verse 3, God, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Who has blessed us. Going to get Greek on you here. This is the aorist active participle. And this is is why I bring this up. I don't like to bring this up a lot. But this is very important. This, the aorist means that it is a snapshot of something that happened at a moment. It's not sort of an ongoing, it happened. Meaning what? God chose us. It was done. He chose us. And we have this snapshot of what He chose for us. It's already happened, past tense. It's active in that God chose us. We didn't choose Him. He chose us. It's very important. What about the us? Who's the us that He's speaking of here? Well, we've got to go back up to verse 1. And it's to the saints. Now, He's writing specifically to the saints in Ephesus, but He's speaking of all saints. God chose all those who are Christians before the foundation of the earth to give spiritual blessing. Now, what are those blessings in? Well, look at the text. They are blessed. He has blessed us in Christ. This means in Christ, every blessing comes. Fifteen times in the first chapter, Christ shows up. Fifteen times. You think he's an important part of this equation? That's how we've been blessed, in Christ. There's no other way to be blessed except in Christ. And we'll talk more about what that means in a bit. Now, how many blessings do we get? Well, it says we get every spiritual blessing. And the word here in the Greek means every kind of spiritual blessing. So it's not, it's not sort of this general sense of we get everything, you know. It's every single kind of spiritual blessing that is possible we get in Christ. And God chose to give us that. Now what is a spiritual blessing? Well, the world, the earth, these are important things. But, it's not everything. There is more than just what we can see and touch. There is a spiritual realm that exists. It exists right now, it existed before the foundation of the earth, and it will exist once this earth changes and becomes what God wants it to become. And it's here that it's said that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. So this other realm, we'll talk about it in a second, this heavenly place, it's timeless, it's classless, it's uh, limitless in, in in the sense that our world here, and it's in this realm that we have these blessings. And so Paul is very specific to say it's spiritual blessings that we have. He's not promising here earthly blessing. 
He's not promising health and wealth, fame, prosperity, comfort for God's people here now in this world. Now you might get those things, and if you get those things, praise be to God because He is the giver of those things, but He is not promising you those in Christ Jesus. That is not what we have here. We have a promise of every spiritual blessing. Now, we'll see that these spiritual blessings aren't simply future benefits, but they're also present realities. And they've already been won by God's saving action in Christ. So the following verses will make this plain that these blessings are integrally related to the whole course of salvation history And they've been applied to every believer, every saint, through the Spirit of God. Now what about in the heavenly places? What does that mean? The NIV says, in the heavenly realm. Well, it's not specifically just referring to the place of heaven. Or the place of the new heavens and new earth, which God promises to us for those who believe in Him. Now it includes that, but it's talking about something actually bigger than that. There is heavenly places right now that that exist that are beyond, like I said, the physical, tangible world. Beyond the five senses. And they're as much a reality as the physical reality. It's this place uh, where the fullness of everything that God is and creates exists. And we'll come back to this term, the heavenly places in the future. But it's important to understand that's the realm of these blessings, okay? And what we'll see next week, we have a privilege, uh, Jeff Neuschwander, who's a pastor friend of mine. We did Alpha with him uh, last spring. He's going to come, they're preaching through the book of Genesis right now, and he's going to come give us a sermon on Genesis 1 next week. Well, he'll talk more about how in the creation God has blessed us as well. In the creation, in every physical thing, the blessed one, the one worthy of praise, has blessed all of creation, and in particular, those created in his image, human beings, who he's given dominion, which means he's given us the charge to protect, to manage, and enjoy all of creation. How that is also a marvelous blessing from God. But it's not the same as these blessings that Paul is talking about. So we thought it would be good for him to to come and and share that with us uh, because it's a both and. It's not the spiritual against the physical. God has created it all, but the physical is not all there is, okay? And he's talking here about these spiritual blessings. So what are the blessings? Let's read verses 7 to 14, and he'll tell us more in, ta- uh, in detail what the blessings actually are, the spiritual blessings. Verse 7 says this, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. We have a kingly pardon 
for our rebellion, our trespasses against God our Lord. We are now forgiven for those of us who are in Christ and we have right standing before God. And we'll see how important that is in a little bit. It's an amazing blessing that we have forgiveness in Christ. Verse 8. Which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and on earth. That is a blessing that God will unite things that are currently separated. As a future blessing, and it's a present blessing, and that we see this happening now. That Christ can bring things together that otherwise are like water and oil. He brings them together. It's a spiritual separation that He unites. Let me jump back now up to verse 4. Actually, verse 5. In love, He, that's God, predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. This is important. We've been adopted as sons. Now look at verse 11. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. We have been adopted as sons, and here's what's important to understand. We are all sons, male and female. We are, in a sense, sons because the sons got the inheritance. And we all have access now to the inheritance of our Father. It's a great truth. We all get what's the Father's. And what should belong just to Jesus. But we get it too, if we are in Christ. Now, just to kind of explain how powerful this is. Do you all have a friend that you know that married really well? That just got into the right family? And all of a sudden, they marry in to this great family, and now they've got this great new father-in-law. And that they've got this great new mother-in-law. And they've got these great new brothers and sisters-in-law who are just incredible. And you know what? The family also has a beach house and a house in the mountains. <laughs> you just hit the jackpot. You got a friend like this? Kind of make you mad, don't they? If you don't have a friend like this, I just encourage you to talk to Blaine Carver. He's married well. He comes from the great north, Alaska, and now he's like OC royalty. It's amazing. Talk to Blaine. He'll explain this principle to you. He's married very well. I'm very happy for you, Blaine. Praise be to God. So we get this new heavenly family, new brothers and sisters. We get this new heavenly Father who is perfect in every way that a father should be perfect. 
We have this new heavenly home, which is our inheritance. We have uh, been transferred from being just guests that maybe visit to now we are co-owners of this place. It's amazing. Now look at verse 13. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. That's a spiritual blessing. We've been given the Spirit of God who dwells with us that reminds us that all the other promises are true, that gives us the power to persist, to overcome anything else in this world, not just the physical, but the spiritual as well. That is a great blessing that we have the Spirit of God with us. Now these blessings, they're past, they're present, and they're future blessings And we are told that God chose to give them to us before the foundations of the earth. Just because He wanted to, right? Because we had not yet done anything to deserve them, He gives them freely to us. In that moment, and we only exist in the mind of God. It's an incredible truth. Hard to wrap your mind around. Now these blessings, which are, them, are themselves so incredible, they're so incredible, but there's even something crazier about them. Even something about these gifts that God gives to us, that if we don't understand it, we'll miss it. And we'll undervalue what it is that God has done. Let me give you an illustration I did a wedding this summer, and I, lo- I love to hear the story of those getting married, about their love story, how they came to be together. And this particular couple met in middle school. And they met in middle school, and right away, some of you might know them, I won't say who they are, uh, right away, the now husband uh, fell in love. I mean, he was smitten. And he had in his mind that he was going to love this woman for the rest of her, his life, the rest of her life. He was going to marry her. Now, the thing is, it took her several years to come to the same conclusion. And it wasn't until their junior year of high school that they had their first date. But he was sure when he met her that he was going to marry her. That's a special kind of love. Look with me again at verse 3. Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as, and that's another way you could say this, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. He chose us before the foundation of the world. Now here, my friends, we have a sneak peek into what we call spiritual history. This is not visible history. 
This is spiritual history. It's invisible history. It's a glimpse into things that only God knows. And He tells us, before I created anything, before I created time itself, I chose you. The spiritual history that we have access here is incredible. There are things happening in, in, in this spiritual history that are so far beyond us that it's foolish to think that we could fully understand them with our finite minds and eyes. But they're happening nonetheless. And this is just a, this is just a freebie. This is just a caveat. What you want to do in your life is figure out what God is doing in spiritual history and start participating in that. Because whatever God is doing in spiritual history, that will be that which remains. Not visible history. Spiritual history. What is God doing and how do I participate? And so in the spiritual history, He's telling us that He chose us before the foundation of the world. Before matter even existed, the person of God chose us. Now this can be confusing. This might be alarming to you. This might bring up all sorts of questions. Some of these we'll address in two weeks. We'll come back to this issue. But before we get lost in the questions of, well, what does this mean, and, and how does this work, and, uh, and what about everybody? How, before we go there, let me, let me say this. We need to try to understand something. Why is God telling us this? Why is He giving us a glimpse into the spiritual history? Because if we can figure that out, it'll give us insight into what we should take from this truth that He's just given to us. Now, this idea of being chosen before the foundation of the earth can cause division and you get angry with each other because we don't fully understand it. So when you hear this, or revelation like this, and and this kind of stuff is happening in Scripture all the time, before we get angry or divide or, or get so confused that we give up, I want you to just ask a couple of things. One, do I love my own opinion more than what's being revealed by God to me? Ergo, we must approach this truth with the fullest humility that we can possibly muster. We have to. Otherwise, we'll fall into the trap of loving our opinions more than the truth that God's revealed. The second thing, we must accept that we will never fully understand this revelation as God understands it. Okay? We are finite. He is infinite. He does not experience time the same way we do. The world, it's not the same. He's not the same as us. Okay? So there will always be an element of mystery when we understand this statement, God chose us before the foundations of the earth. It's inevitable. There's always going to be mystery surrounding this. And that's okay. 
Focus on what's being revealed to us, okay? And third, let's say this. We must ask why God's revealed it at all. Knowing that He does not arbitrarily reveal anything, any information to us, He doesn't just do it to do it. There's always a reason. And if we can figure out what He's wanting us to take from it, then we can take that from it and we can leave everything else. It will be a lot happier. In this case, I believe the answer to why God reveals this spiritual history to us, in this case, I believe it's because He wants to tell us the true extent and the longevity with which He has loved us. He also wants us to know of His willingness to wait. His patience. His long-suffering, waiting for the fulfillment of His ultimate desire, which we'll see here in a minute, to be worked out in its fullest way in visible history. God's incredibly patient. So, we might say it something like this. God did not start loving you the first time you gave Him the time of day. God didn't even start loving you the first time you attended church. Or the first time you attended church consistently. He didn't even start loving you the first time you gave financially to the church. He didn't start loving you the first time you actually sang during worship songs. He didn't even start loving you the day you were born. God started loving you before the foundations of the earth before He even spoke the first speck of matter into existence. That's how long He's been loving you. He's waited billions of years for you to even begin to start loving Him back. It's like getting the gift of greatest value putting it on the top shelf of a closet and never opening it up because you're afraid of what it might mean or you're afraid of what it requires of you. That's what this gift of this peak into spiritual history means. You see that? Don't put it in the closet. Know what God is trying to tell you through it. That He's loved you for longer than your mind can even comprehend. Now, it gets even wilder. He loved you back then before the foundations of the earth in Christ. You know what that means? Sending His Son into the world to die for you because of what you've done, was not plan B or plan C or plan D because the other plans didn't work out. That was the plan before he created. God's not reacting to what we're doing. And he said, I've got to fix this, said my son. He knew he would have to do it before he created, before the foundations, in full knowledge of the sacrifice that would have to be placed upon God the Son, 
in full knowledge of the rebellion that would come from all His creation, especially human beings. In full knowledge of the mockery that He would endure through the ages, God chose to create. Do you see how crazy that is? Knowing that His Son would be the only way back to what He ultimately desired. Friends, if He could have done it another way to accomplish what He wanted to accomplish, God would have figured it out. This was the only way to make us fully willful creatures who had the possibility to have real relationship with God. This is the only way. It was by coming Himself into the world to die on a cross Otherwise, he would have done it a different way. And yet, he chose to create this world. Is your mind beginning to blow up? It should. And yet, consistently, in the church of God, we ignore the cross of Christ. God's never ignored it. It's always been the plan. And so... We're glad to talk about what Jesus taught, how He taught us to pray. We're glad to talk about how Jesus teaches us to be a better husband. We're glad to talk about how He teaches us to be a better neighbor, to be more ethical, to be more generous. We talk about these things, but oftentimes in many churches in this country and around the globe, we ignore the elephant in the room, which is the cross of Christ. Let's not be that kind of church. Because God knew that this was what he would do before the foundation of the earth out of love for you. Verse 7 says this. In him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. My friends, God, the person, set His heart on us before the foundation of the world, planning to send His Son, knowing that He would shed His blood on our behalf. And I can't say it enough times. And we ignore it. Don't forget these things. Don't forget that this was always the plan of God. That through the cross of Jesus Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Whew. Don't talk around it. That's an abomination to God. I'm going to say it one more time because it's so important, okay? And you, you may never heard this. So I'm going to say it one more time. Before the first ray of light was born from the breath of God, before the first raindrop fell on the hardened earth, before the first animal darted through the thicket, before the first human being opened his lungs to the oxygen of life, before any image bearer of God rebelled against their Creator, before the Holocaust killed six million of God's people, before Nietzsche and many Others in the Western world declared God is dead before any of it 
God chose to love us in full knowledge of what would come. My friends, that is a relentless love climaxing in sending Jesus Christ, God the Son, into the world to be rejected by His own people, to be mocked, to be beaten, to be spit upon, to be hung from a pagan torture device, and to be absorbing the spiritual wrath of God the Father against all unrighteousness into Himself for our salvation. An imperfect knowledge, knowing all of this, he chose to do it. He didn't have to. He chose. That, my friends, is the fullest definition of love that you can ever find. Our Creator hanging on a tree for us. Don't miss this to make you want to weep. So no, ma- no matter how much the doctrines of election and predestination confuse, disturb, irk you, distract you, please take a moment, take a deep breath and know this much. God told you about this moment in spiritual history because He wants you to know and to be rooted and grounded in love, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God's love for you, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That's why he's told you this. And I don't think we could get it unless he told us this. So what should our response be? Why does God give us every spiritual blessing? Why does God want us to know that He's given it to us? Why does God want us to know that He's chosen us from the foundation of the earth? Why does God want us to know that He chose to sacrifice His Son? Why does God give us this revelation of His cosmic love? Look at verse 6. Verse 12 and verse 14. Not all at once. We'll start at verse 6. Because it says the same thing three times. Look very closely. This is why He wants us to know about this kind of love. My friends, this is why He wants us to know to the praise of His glorious grace. That's why He tells us this. He wants us to praise His glorious grace. Look at verse 5 right above it. It says, In love God predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. What is the purpose of His will? The praise of His glorious grace. That is God's ultimate purpose. You say, wait a minute. That sounds kind of vain. Actually, it's not. And here's why. Praising things brings us joy. Does it not? For 13 years, I've waited for the University of Washington to beat the University of Oregon. And I've been a miserable man. Unhappy, unjoyful, and last night, 
God prevailed. <laughs> no, the Huskies prevailed. And I was praising them. And you know what? They weren't me. But I was praising them. That's why we love football so much. My wife asked me, why do we love football so much? Which means, Dave, why do you love football so much? I was meant to praise something other than myself. And so I choose these college athletes. And they finally did it. 11 years or 13 years I've been waiting for this to happen. Okay? So we love to praise. It brings us joy. Am I wrong? No. The second reason is that above all else, we were made to praise our Creator. Now, here's the deal. When all I do is praise football players or football teams or celebrity or politicians, you name it, I've actually picked a terrible receiver of my praise. And actually, human beings are terrible objects of praise. Lizards are terrible objects of praise. Statues like I said, politicians, nations are terrible objects of praise. Economic systems are terrible receivers of this praise. And literally, us praising them will destroy them. Is this not true? We destroy things that we praise that shouldn't be praised. We will destroy them. Because it's not meant to be that way. Look at the human beings in our world who are praised the most. They're being torn apart. We were made to praise not created things, but our Creator. And when we do that, everything is right in the world. Everything is right in the world because God alone can receive the praise as it's meant to be received. And it's for our good and our joy. This is great news. And we praise God in Christ. Okay? Look at verse 4 with me again, okay? It says, He chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him. The NIV says it this way, He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Now, raise your hand if you think you are holy. Raise them high. Boom. We got one, two, Three, I'll talk to you after. No, you're going to like what I have to say here. That's right, but we think about holiness, we tend to think about moral perfection. And so we say, I'm not holy because I know I'm not morally perfect. But actually, the sense here of holiness is wholeness, to be put back into the position we were meant to be and function according to our design. That is what holiness means. Now what about blameless? Blameless. Blameless means that we no longer are guilty in the courtroom of God. We call this justification. That through the blood of Christ, we are justified. We are no longer blamed for our crimes against God. They've been paid for by Jesus on the cross. And so, here's what he's saying. God chose us before the foundation of the world to be right, both willful Beings that get to choose whom we praise and that we would become blameless because oftentimes we've gotten it wrong. Blameless and holy because He's putting us back together the way we were intended to be. And guess what happens when we're back to holy and blameless as we were intended to be? We can once again step into the sight of God. This is the great promise of eternity, lived in the presence of God. 
Before Christ, we could not go to that place. Now, in Him, we can. You see what's happening? We will experience the fullness of the blessings in the heavenly places because we will stand before and in the sight of God Almighty, praising Him as we were always meant to do. You see that? This is incredible. And so, where's my Bible? Hold up my Bible, my notes say, this is the only way that this end could happen. The Bible, this book, tells us what God had to do to bring this about. He could have created robots, he could have done something else, but to create real, volitional, free creatures, holy and blameless, yet choosing to stand before Him and worship Him by their free will, it had to be this way, climaxing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, His death, His resurrection, it had to be this way. And this is, to praise His glorious grace is, my friends, the way that we love God back. We are not blessed in and of ourselves. He is the blessed one, the one worthy of praise, and He distributes His blessings to us in physical and spiritual ways, but we did not originate any of those blessings, and so to think that we could give them back to Him, and that is our love, is ridiculous. There's one way we love Him back, and that's by choosing to give Him our praise. And if we don't do that, we failed our design. Willful worship, my friends. Willful worship. Why do we gather corporately once a week, Sunday worship? To praise His glorious grace. That's why we gather. Why do we, sh- why do we come together in medium-sized groups and homes throughout the week to talk about God? To the praise of His glorious grace. Why do we share the good news of Jesus with those who have never heard or those who have maybe heard an incomplete or false gospel? This is evangelism. To the praise of His glorious grace. Why do we give away our blessings, our time, our energy, our comfort to serve those who are in need? Mercy ministry. T-T-P-O-G-G. So catchy. T-T-P-O-G-G. Come on. Write a song. Somebody write a song about this. Now, look at the passage again. God is the subject of it all. It is God's will. It is God's plan. It is God's activity. It is God's choice. It is God's creation. It is God's son. It is God's sacrifice. It is God's goal to unite all things in Christ Jesus. And it falls all apart if we think we can insert ourselves where God is meant to be. When I live for my own will, when I live according to my plan, when I live out my activity, my choice, through my creation, through seeking to be my own Savior, thinking that my own sacrifices save me for my own goals, I've wrecked it all. I've distorted God's intent, and so what happens is I live to the praise of my glory. This started in Genesis chapter 3, and it's been the problem with humanity ever since. Now, let me just show you something very quickly. 
God is always blessed so that we can be a blessing. He said to Abraham in Genesis 12, the 12th chapter of this book, his story, the first man he chooses and calls to something unique to set him apart. God said this to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families, that means every nation, every language, every tribe, every culture of the earth shall be blessed. God knew it was going to be this way. He would bless those that they would be a blessing. That's how it's always worked because he created to multiply his blessedness. That's the plan of God. And it comes only through and in the work of Jesus. He's working out this cosmic plan for this end to the praise of His glorious grace. Do not miss that. So if you are a Christian sitting here tonight, this is my hope for you, that you realize the depths of God's love for you. That you realize in a new scope the riches of this spiritual blessing that he has bestowed upon you. That from the foundation of the earth, before you could have ever even responded, he chose you. And I hope you see the nuance of this love as he's pursued you in and out of the choices of your life. Seeking you, pressing in on you, Wanting, him, uh, wanting you to know of his glorious grace so that you might respond as you were intended to with praise. And then I want you not to just do that here on Sundays, but to go out into the world and praise his glorious grace. Now, what if you're not yet a Christian? You need to ask yourself today, why am I here? Is it an accident? Is it by chance alone that I'm here to hear this message? Is there no purpose? Is there no reason for which I'm here? Or could it be that God in His providence has drawn